0: The Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to Luke. Glory to you, Lord Christ. Just then a lawyer stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he said, what must I do to inherit an eternal life? He said to him, what is written in the law? What do you read there? He answered, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, You have given the right answer. Do this, and you will live. But wanting to justify himself, he asked Jesus, And who is my neighbor? Jesus replied, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell into the hands of robbers who stripped him, beat him, and went away. and bandaged his wounds, having poured oil and wine on them. Then he put him on his own animal, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii, gave them to the innkeeper, and said, Take care of him, and when I come back, I will repay you whatever more you spend. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man? Who fell into the hands of the robbers? He said, the one who showed him mercy. Jesus said to him, go and do likewise. The Gospel of the Lord.
1: Praise, Praise to you, Lord Christ. In the name of the Holy Trinity, one God. Amen. Looking back over the years, many years, I realized that the time that uh, we spent in Turkey as a family was a very important and influential time in my life, for me at least, and I think for Lou as well. And uh, this morning I was taken back to uh, that time there as I was preparing for this sermon and thinking about who is my neighbor. Uh, We went to uh, language school for nine months in Monterey, California. That was a pretty nice uh, gig. (laughs) And while we were there, uh, of course, all of the instructors were uh, Turks. So they were native speakers. And they also were helping us to learn about the culture as well as the language. And the other thing that we learned from them was also their biases and their prejudices. And one of the things that I found out was how much... Turks disliked Greeks. Well, it happened that uh, after going through language school and then finally getting to Izmir and, and being assigned to the NATO headquarters there, we had a wonderful, found a beautiful apartment right on the bay. And Izmir, if you're unfamiliar with it, is one of the most beautiful cities in the world in terms of its placement, because it's a wonderful bay that's surrounded by mountains. So, we had this beautiful apartment right on the main Ataturk Jadisi, which is the main boulevard, and we were settling in and very happy. And then Turkey invaded Cyprus. It was about a month after we had settled in. And that, of course, put Turkey at war with Greece. Now, the headquarters I was assigned to was an international headquarters, so there were Uh, There were people from all the nations of NATO who were a part of it. And, of course, there were Greeks there as well. And some of them had been there really for many, many years. I remember in particular that the the chief translator in the headquarters was a wonderful Greek man that everybody loved. He was like a grandfather to all of us younger military guys. He, He knew the ropes. We really cared for him. Well, it turned out that the night that uh, Turkey invaded Cyprus, all of the Greeks were rounded up, put on buses, taken to the airport and flown to Athens. They, They left everything they had behind. Some of them had pets. They, of course, had furnishings in their apartments. They had all of the financial arrangements that they had in the community that they were living in. Their lives were completely disrupted. Now, as far as I know, none of them were mistreated, but their lives had been completely uprooted. Well, it wasn't long after this happened that we found out that officials in in NATO headquarters had arranged for local Turks who were friends or colleagues of those Greeks to uh, get power of attorney to be able to act on their behalf. And it was it was a wonderful arrangement for those, of course, who had been so uprooted because it was possible then for a lot of things to be taken care of that otherwise wouldn't have been. There was a Turkish civilian who worked for me, and I was curious how they were able to do this, because I knew about the animosity that was there, ancient animosity, actually hatred in many ways between Greeks and Turks. And I wondered, how is it possible that they were able to do this for these Greeks? And he said, yes, they're Greek, but they need our help. And I think that the thing that made it possible was the fact that they knew them. They knew them as colleagues and as friends. Well, today we have this wonderful parable uh, that we refer to as the parable of the good shepherd, Excuse me, the Good Samaritan. That's another day. (laughs) The Good Samaritan. And the interesting thing is that Jesus never calls him a Good Samaritan. We do. And it's become so much a part of our language that we think that all Samaritans must have been good. But it's a story about asking what it means really to have eternal life. How do we do that? And also, ultimately, who is my neighbor? And it starts with that question asked by the young lawyer You know, what do I need to do to have eternal life? And because he is learned in the law, Jesus asks him, What does the law say? And he repeats it very easily, saying, To love God essentially with all of your being, and to love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus says, You're right. You do that, and you live. And the man could not let it stand there because he was so learned in the law. He had so many, so many prescriptions about who is in and who is out, where to draw the boundaries, that he said, who is my neighbor? And then Jesus went on to tell the story of the Samaritan. To unpack that, I think it it would help us to just look at the key uh, characters in the story. Uh, The lawyer, as I mentioned, was someone who was learned in the law. He knew the law. He understood what it was to be a faithful Jew and what a person needed to do in order to, to live faithfully. And then, of course, the victim was apparently a Jewish man on the Jericho Road. And the interesting thing is that today you can't go on the Jericho Road because there's a wall there which also says something about what it means to be able to see the other as neighbor. And then there's the priest and the Levite. And this is where those of us who are in the clergy start to become uncomfortable because they were clergy. And of course, we know they went to the other side of the road and walked by. Now there have been two interpretations of this in terms of how it might have been heard by those that Jesus was telling this story to one uh, gives them uh, the benefit of the doubt. I guess I'd say it goes like this. These two were on their way to Jerusalem to fulfill their call to fulfill their vocation. And in order to do that, they needed to continue to be uh, uh, clean in terms of uh, ritual purity. If they touched a dead body, they would lose that ritual purity. So it may have been understandable to those uh, listening to Jesus why these two had gone to the other side and passed by. But others have said That's not necessarily the case, because there's also it's also important that someone who has died be buried. And they would have felt some obligation to that. We know that Jesus doesn't denounce them. He simply says that they walk by on the other side. When I was in South Dakota, I remember a Native American uh, telling me about a time on Rosebud Reservation when an Indian man was uh, his car had broken down out on the road. And it's pretty desolate some places out there and it's hot in the summer. The sun is very hot and it it seems to uh, shine endlessly with a lot of wind. And he was waiting, hoping somebody would come by to help him. And the uh, Native American telling me the story said, "Then the mission priest came by, and he passed him by. He didn't stop. And I've wondered, would I have stopped? I've been on that reservation. I've also been warned, you know, be careful what you do, because you don't know who you're dealing with. Would I have stopped? Would I have considered the cost too much? the danger, perhaps, too great to stop. Or perhaps I would have been running late and obsessed as I am with time. I would have said I have to get there on time and I couldn't stop. So who is our neighbor? And then we come to the Samaritan. The Samaritan is an interesting man. We don't really know too much about him. Apparently he had some means. But I think for us to appreciate Uh, the story and especially how it would have been heard as Jesus told it. Uh, This reading we had from Amos is a snippet of some of the history uh, between Judah and Israel. Israel is the northern kingdom, and these were the people who worshipped on a different mountaintop. They interpreted scripture differently. They had over the years intermarried with uh, people of other ethnicity. They weren't as pure a race. They didn't understand Judaism as those in Judah did, who worshipped in Jerusalem and had another understanding of Torah. So they were looked down upon by those who worshipped in Jerusalem. And for someone to think of a Samaritan, someone from that northern kingdom, to be someone who is good would have been very, very strange. We have that so much in our culture, you know, to talk about the Good Samaritan. It's it's in law and a lot of other things. But it would not have been heard that way by those that Jesus was speaking to. Rather, they probably would have been shocked. Who was this man? Could he possibly be the one reaching out and giving aid to this man who was hurt and in the ditch? I think it's. Easy for us to look at this story and to think that it really just says to us that we need to be nice and not like those clergy who walk by. We need to be nice to other folks. But the story is really drawing us into something much deeper. And it's drawing us into questioning who it is that we might see as not our neighbor, but that God is calling us to look at in a different way. We live in a world that is increasingly divided. We separate ourselves one from another based on religion, on race, on politics, on ethnicity, on citizenship, on class. I sometimes get particularly weary of hearing the pundits describing us as living in red states and blue states. We are one people. And we ought to be able to see our see one another in ways that are other than just political and especially to not be able to hear one another when we speak. Sociologists, of course, have found that people are increasingly living in parts of the country where they believe they are living with those who are of a like mind politically. And we know that there's that phenomenon in lunchrooms all over the country, wherever there are Mixed races where the whites are at one table, the blacks are at another table. We seem to always separate ourselves one from another. I believe the problem, the evil that underlies all of that is the fear of the other. Fear of another's ideas, of another's power, or of another's privilege. Or perhaps it's fear of losing that power or that privilege I believe what gets us beyond those fears is getting to know the other as a human being I think that that breaks down so many barriers and I believe that that is what was at the heart of why those Greeks were taken care of by the Turks because they knew them as human beings they knew them in many cases as a friend And in many cases, as a as a cherished and and valued colleague, it's in getting to know the other that we lose the fear of the other. So who is my neighbor? It may well be the one that I find least likely to reach out to me and perhaps that I would prefer would not reach out to me. Remember the young lawyer when Jesus goes through all of that and, and Jesus uh, asks, you know, who, who was the one who was the neighbor? He can't say it was the Samaritan. He said it was the one that showed pity. And perhaps that's as good as it gets this side of the grave. Maybe that's all we can do. But I think we must ask ourselves, who is it? Who is it that I might not even want to reach out to me in my need? And who is it that God is putting in front of my path, interrupting my plans so that I might stop and show mercy and show pity and extend God's love? So ultimately, I believe that loving God is loving neighbor is loving God. Amen.